How we feeling? What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the How We Feeling podcast. Today's episode I'm super excited for because our guests are Kyle Francis Ordona de Carlos and Gerald Zamora, who are both the president and the assistant treasurer of the NAACP youth chapter here in San Jose. How you guys doing today, man? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing, doing well. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. So I kind of gave you guys a little bit of a brief overview earlier, but essentially we're just using this podcast as a platform for you guys to go ahead and just share your journeys. Um, and growing up in Mopitas, I'm sure you guys have a lot of experiences you guys want to talk about. So yeah, for starters, for sure. why don't you guys just go ahead and tell a little bit about yourselves and growing up uh, in Mopitas. Oh, okay. President first. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is Kyle speaking right now for those who don't have the visuals. Well, um... Uh, as y'all know, I'm the president of the NAACP Youth Chapter of San Jose. Um, and I guess my experiences growing up, like the most pivotal experiences in my life altogether with my childhood. Ooh, wow. Um, I guess growing up and not a, like a fully functional like, family was always very difficult altogether. I mean, um, yeah, there, there was, I think, let's say like seventh grade. Altogether, there was this whole thing where like I ran away, and then someone called the cops, and it was crazy because uh, when the cops like came in, they actually arrested me. Really? Yeah. So that was a really crazy experience altogether. Um, they, so I got handcuffed at the age of like seventh grade. And this was when I was in Mopitas because I grew up in Eastside San Jose, then I moved to Mopitas, like near McKee area. So that was like seventh grade altogether. And I had like a lot of like anxiety issues and like panic disorders at the time so i kind of like you know lost control and then that whole thing happened and then um i spent the night like i guess in the jail or something in mopitas yeah. it wasn't in the jail because i was uh a minor but it was like in this room and i was like with these two other kids one was in for assault and one was in for suicide watch and i just spent the night there and then they took me out that's about it and i guess the cop at the time like um the cop like, who like kind of was checking me and stuff and asking me about stuff, he like kind of like talked to me in a very like condescending way, which was weird. And there was like really no follow-up for like mental health. So like I kind of had to like kind of deal with that on my own or from like people who, you know, helped me out. And uh, I guess one more experience is getting racially profiled by a cop in Mopitas. Um, I was with me and my other friend. And we're both Filipino. Um, cop kind of pulled up like right by us and we were like walking like literally like six blocks away from our own house and then he asked us for id asking all these questions and we got kind of nervous and we, were, we couldn't understand why he's really questioning us and then this cop like gave back our ids like when we gave him the ids though he was, he looks really surprised because we were in seventh grade at the time so this was seventh grade too or eighth grade i, I believe and then when he like looked at it, when he looked at it he got so surprised and then he he faked ran it right through uh his system and then he was like he was like be careful there's a bunch of home invasions around here and ever since that moment you know i felt like man did i like dress up kind of like bad was it because of how i looked but later on of course you know i realized that was just an experience of racial profiling and he really had no right to do that especially at that young of an age yeah kind of one of the first glimpses into what's really going on to the surface in terms of that yeah exactly like what's going on right now it all like intertwines yeah. to the person that i am today you know what i mean
No, definitely. Yeah. I want to I want to get into that a little bit more pretty soon. But Gerald, I want to hear about your experiences too. Yeah, um, I'm same same as Kyle. Um, my name is Gerald Zamora. I'm a I am the assistant treasurer in the NAACP. Um, and yeah, I came from Milpitas. Uh, I lived in Eastside for a little bit around like Tolly area, so like King Story Road. Yeah. Um, so it was only for a little bit, so I don't really remember a lot. But usually, most of my life was in Milpitas, and um, I mean. Growing up, I'm I'm Filipino, and uh, my family came from the Philippines a long time ago. Maybe not a long time ago, maybe like in the uh, like 20 years, 30 years around. And um, they're the only people like from my family, from both sides of the family, that came here, other than one other like uh, one other family. So like growing up, I didn't really experience all the like going to like holidays with other cousins or having a lot of cousins having a lot of like aunts and uncles here so we stuck together um and my dad always said um yeah blood is like thicker than water and this is like we have to protect each other and everything because they had a rough upbringing uh together and like before they were together like my parents and that like also rubbed into me in some kind of way and i'm actually learning to like unpack that now as you grow older yeah like the diasporic like trauma and um it's been helping to be a part of like the NWACP it's been helping because I'm like opening like my mind to like a lot of like other cultures Mm -hmm. because in Milpitas it's it's literally like 95 like like 96 percent like Asian right yeah so like all my life I've like everyone around me is Asian so like being a part of the NWACP and trying to like branch out of like the my own city is enabling me to like have like just better like relations with other like cultures and everything. Right. And kind of like you said, it adds a little bit more of a new perspective for you. And I'm sure being as little as you are now and kind of getting an understanding of those things, you can really empathize with a lot of the different kind of cultural values and also just relations that other people have, whether it be, you know, people just interacting as they, you know, are part of varying races. Yeah. And that was the reason why I said like, oh yeah, like, um, I am unpacking like that trauma is because like my my parents always told me to just stay like with the same people like they're gonna protect you and everything like that and it was kind of like hindering like my growth and now realizing that as a 22 year old it's like kind of crazy like it's a Mm. lot to think of yeah and it it does really affect like my mental health in, in a way and I'm glad to be like a part of this podcast to be like talking about stuff like that because I know for a fact that there are a lot others who feel this kind of way. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that brings me perfectly to, you know, what my first question was going to be, which is what is your, both of your guys' personal relationship with mental wellness kind of like currently? And what was it like growing up initially? Yeah. So I talked about it a little bit uh, in the, with the first question, right? Um, anxiety and panic disorders was like a huge thing. Like I remember um, just being so anxious with a lot of things, and um, and just having panic disorders. Like literally, my friends would see me like literally like just like break out and like like just like panic and just like you know in the, in those moments you don't feel like you're breathing, you feel like you're dying, you just don't know what to do. Luckily, I had friends right by my side to kind of help me out with that. Um, moving forward towards like my earlier years, and this was just last year actually. Like the person I am today really came out of a lot of uh, darkness and struggle, you know, and I feel like through those times, through those trials, that becomes the most 
the, the most defining moments of your life. So um, just about last year, um, uh, I basically was diagnosed with anxiety depression. Like I literally like went to a therapist or a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and ADHD as well too. And yeah, and it was just the reason being of that happening was my dad passed away when I was 19 years old. So I kind of had to deal with that at a pretty young, fairly young age. You know what I mean? Um, was going, went through a breakup, um, kind of lost myself with a lot of things. And I dealt with like three or four, or actually, yeah, four deaths within the next year. One of them being my grandma too. So wow. I was just kind of trying to deal with everything. And I resorted trying to get help through a psychiatrist. They gave me Zoloft, which is like a pill that kind of like numbs you. Yeah. And I felt like a zombie. And yeah. that was just crazy. And I guess I find I try to find other avenues through other types of things. You know what I mean? Um, uh, like dr- like drugs, basically. You know what I mean? And but I was able to overcome that, and I and I was able to help rise up from friends and family that truly helped me out because you know the mental health system, they they weren't there for me. You know, a psychiatrist, therapist, it just never worked out. And I really don't blame it on the people, but I blame it on the funding and how. We don't treat that in America altogether. And all, and this whole perception of mental health isn't a thing when it really is. You know what I mean? I mean, for my case, I was lucky enough to, you know, not end up in the grave. You know what I mean? And basically rise myself above from it because of my community and because of people that truly cared about me. That was the only reason why I was able. But I can't imagine how it is for other people who actually go through that without that actual help from others. You know what I mean? So that's I, that, I guess that's like a big thing that I would for sure, push for people to make sure, you know, check up on your friends, check up on your family, because you never know what's going through their head. Yeah, man, I'm always glad that you're here. Appreciate you, Gerald. Yeah. You're, see, he's one of my close <laughs> homies, too. He always yeah. gives the greatest advice, y'all. No, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, similar to you, I mean, I wasn't diagnosed, but I I visited a therapist, like, early during, like, the corona, like coronavirus, right? And I was just explaining my problems because, you know, a lot was going on, like, in March where um, I just stopped going to school because, I mean, like, Zoom and everything like that. Um, I lost my job, just a lot of things, and I was getting close to graduation, so I was losing, like, opportunities to find my jobs, right? And I was just kind of, like, freaking out in the beginning of, like, the virus, like, season. So I visited a therapist, and they, they told me that I could be diagnosed with general anxiety disorder but I did not follow up on that so I can't say that I am diagnosed but I do suffer from a lot of anxiety I have had panic attacks like you you said Kyle where you Mm -hmm. can't like you can't breathe like you can't it just everything becomes fuzzy right and you can't even talk like I've experienced that and it's crazy to like feel Mm -hmm. that it's it's surreal really um but I mean like before that I didn't really realize I had anxiety or anything because I was always like keeping myself busy. So I would work like 30 hours a week um, at two jobs or something. Yeah, like I worked two jobs 30 hours a week and I was a full-time student and I was focusing on my like social life and stuff like that. So I always had something to do and I didn't really take the time. uh, When you have like all that, like those things that you're doing, you don't really take the time to look inwards, right? Now, when the virus happened, like I, I bet I for sure everyone had that time. Oh, you have his time. Look, yeah, you have all the time to look mm-hmm. inwards, and that's when I realized, like, hey, like, I've been trying to keep myself busy because, like, it just gives me it gives me the feeling of control, 
and that's what my therapist uh, that's what my therapist said so like i do suffer from anxiety and sometimes when it gets really bad it goes into like depression like anxiety induced depression um but it's not chronic depression um and yeah and then like looking inwards i finally realized like yes like i have anxiety like i'm scared of like the future and i want to control things as much as i can uh so i'm like really proactive and stuff like that but then i realized like while looking at like my my parents like i do like get that from them like that was the, the craziest realization during like this year where i'm like i'm actually like a lot like my mom yeah and um i didn't really realize it when i was young but like my dad became really sick when i was a senior in like high school he's a dialysis patient so he has to go into dialysis all the time and in the beginning of that diagnosis it was it was a wild ride he would go into hospitals every, almost every week my mom would always be very worried and like sleeping at the hospital and then i saw that but i didn't really realize like she did have anxiety and then i realized like hey like that all that like constant like asking looking up google like symptoms and stuff like that health related anxiety like i have that too and um it's crazy yeah it it's it's like the biggest like the first step to like healing from whatever you had whatever like mental health like issues you have is like realizing that you have them and that could also be like the hardest part right yeah 100% and Kyle you touched on it too in terms of you know going through your experience meeting with your psychiatrist yeah. you felt that there was a system that didn't necessarily support you yeah. right and one of the big things that i kind of think about one of the big things that we talk about is so many people feel kind of like they can push off their own feelings because they say oh if i'm not clearly diagnosed with x y and z maybe i don't have that maybe i'm just overreacting right when in yeah. reality it's such a subjective thing i mean we all go through these circumstances and experiences that give us these certain sense of feelings yeah. and we should all kind of own them whether they're diagnosed or not because at the end of the day a lot of us are feeling the same types of things Fact. and i feel like putting those labels on them you know, puts, pushes people away from kind of taking ownership of those experiences. You know, and Gerald, you talked about it too in terms of you starting to feel like you were carrying that baggage that your parents kind of had throughout yeah. their experiences yeah. coming over here. I feel like a large part of that too is just, that's just the nature of those generations, right? For a long time, mental wellness was something that was just super stigmatized and never really talked about. It was yeah. kind of, you just pick yourself up and go through it and run through it because you got to stay strong and you got to buckle up when... In reality, it's, yeah, you can do that, but at the same time, you're leaving so much to be desired for those things that are, are going on in your life. Yeah, it's like a survival mindset, basically. Yeah. Like they're, they're trying to survive. Right. Exactly. I think to just add on to that, too, like especially within the Asian-American community, mm -hmm. it's like very up there with things like the suicide rate because, you know, um, these uh, parents, you know, our parents, and I don't blame them, as immigrants, they come from a life of struggle and uh, trauma and even coming from war-torn third world countries a lot of the time you know these communities of color right and sometimes you know they really don't believe in that especially what they do and you know that's the thing like you can't blame it on them but you gotta understand that right and yeah. and you can't blame it on that altogether right but i mean i think there's also a saying to get, kind of hop off gel if you heal yourself you can heal your bloodline right that's that sure. one thing like For that sure, yeah yeah, but it's just crazy because you know thinking about that and like you saying it in the beginning it like connect a lot of things you're right like your family's trauma and their history is so connected to your mental health. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And so now moving forward kind of to where we are today, 
as you guys kind of put yourself in a position to really analyze what's going on within you guys and start to unpack some of the natures behind those experiences, what are kind of some devices and some things you guys have turned to to make you more cognizant of your own emotional well-being? Uh, journaling. Journaling is, um, I did, I mean, I was skeptical at first, right? Because uh, I didn't think that all of the, like, the feelings that I had, all the negative, like, feelings that I was carrying and the feelings that I couldn't even, like, knew, that I didn't even know were there. I didn't know that I could, like, get them out, right? And I thought I had it all organized in my head until I started journaling. And then I realized, like, hey, like, this is actually something that's beneficial because it makes me feel like my feelings are tangible and that I can put them in like folders in a way other than like it being like noisy like voices in my head. So journaling is, is very great. Um, I try to journal every night, but I haven't been doing that lately because yeah, when you're when you're busy, mm. you just want to sleep, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you want like I could you know what, I could deal with it in the morning <laughs> or something yeah. and then you don't yeah, I'll get to but it. Also, like, yeah, meditation is great too. Like, a lot of grounding techniques because I do like have like anxiety symptoms, and one of those things, like, when you're in a panic attack, you can't like focus on anything. So it's really important when you're in a panic attack that you can like. One of the techniques is to like describe five things in the room, describe five things that you like feel like would touch, and it just grounds you. And with meditation, it helps you. Like ground yourself mm. and keep you back into the present and not in the future. Yeah, so I've been do using those two methods mostly. Mm. Uh, absolutely, journaling has been a huge one for me too. And I talked about it on a previous podcast before, but I have a buddy of mine who's currently writing a book um, just about his own life experiences. But a lot of the nature and drive to do that stemmed from beginning to build a relationship with journaling and putting those thoughts in a tangible form because it gives you so much of a sense of ownership and. Yeah. At a certain sure. point in time, you can look back, pick that journal up, go through the pages, and put yourself back in that same exact place you were previously, and that just yeah. gives you such yeah. a large-scale glimpse into the growth that you've exhibited over that time. Yeah, yeah, like, it gives you, like, it shows your progress in a way, too, and that that's, like, a really important, like, aspect of journaling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I, for me, I completely agree with Gerald in the sense of journaling. Um, I've done that, you know, a few times, uh, especially with the healing process of, uh, the journey to burying my dad. I actually wrote a blog about that and I posted about it and it helped a lot with accepting a lot of things, especially mm -hmm. with that moment because that was one of the biggest moments in my life, you know, where I had to realize a lot of things. Um, meditation as well too. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a little more fidgety and I move a lot. <laughs> like Gerald knows this. I'm always on the go and I think y'all could tell too, right? So I, I, I try to do that as much as possible. Um, poetry has been a few things. So I, I wrote some poems. Uh, that was like way back when. I haven't done one in a minute though. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is uh, working out. Um, everything from lifting free weights to boxing to even yoga, that has truly helped me. For free weights, it's taught me a lot of on how to focus on things and how to basically, you know, when you go through the set, you finish those last three or four reps. I try to correlate that with life. Like, are you going to give up easily or are you going to finish it strong? Yeah. I mean... With boxing, just letting go of that anger, that frustration into those mitts or bag and letting go in that few moments, you know. But I mean, not too crazy where I'm going to hurt myself, but just enough to let go of that frustration or bent up emotion. Because, you know, those emotions you do have to acknowledge because if you don't acknowledge it, you'll never be able to get through it. Right. And with yoga, like what Gerald was saying, it is a form of meditation. I'm able to ground myself and be one with my body. And in those moments of doing those poses or whatever I did, I do 
nothing else matters. And right. there's, I barely have those moments of silence with myself, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like me, myself as a person, in my mind, it's like a freaking freeway. It's nonstop. <laughs> and Gerald has told me to slow down hella times. I'll, I'll second that. Yeah, he's, he's, sure. Ger- Gerald is the speed limit. He's telling me, hey, bro, <laughs> you're, going at 60, you're going at 90 right now, but it says it's 65. Come on, bro. <laughs> No, I love that. And I love you talking about your relationship with working out, whether it be through, you know, lifting weights or boxing, just because, again, I feel like everybody works to express themselves in different ways, whether it be physical or just emotional in the sense of music or or artwork or even writing. It's just all of these are different forms that put you in a state where you're focused primarily on what you're doing and everything is done with complete intent. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's what meditation is, right? It's focusing on that sole thing whether it be continually thinking about nothing or continually locking in on one different thought and going down that rabbit hole, it's all kind of the same thing in terms of bringing out that focus. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I like it. And so we'll kind of switch a little bit gears, but I want you guys to kind of speak about your involvement within the NAACP and talk about how you guys initially got involved. Okay. Um, So for myself, um, so uh, Tara, who's the VP, she was also going to be on this podcast as well too. Shout out to Tara, Tara Walls. (laughs) Best friend. Best yeah. friend, yeah, yeah. yeah. My best friend. <laughs> um, she's the our, our vice president of the youth chapter. Um, one day, you know, we've even I've known her since like senior of high school. I'm 22 now, so that's been a minute. Uh, she uh, at the time there was the incident with Alton Sterling uh, during the height of the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement altogether, and she just vented to me, texting about things so, like, you know what, let's do something, right? So. We hosted a Black Lives Matter rally in Mopitas, which is very unheard of. All right? Yeah, you remember, like... Very unheard of. Yeah, yeah. very unheard because it's mostly Asian, like what Gerald was saying. Yeah. And at the time, too, I believe the, a, a lot of the world did not understand what Black Lives Matter was. You know what I mean? Especially during that time. Um, uh, so what happened was that kind of got us on the radar with the NAACP president, uh, uh, Reverend... Jethro Moore, shout out to him. He is the adult bench president of the San Jose Silicon Valley chapter of the NAACP. And basically how I got involved, I became the assistant uh, secretary. And then I guess uh, there was a falling out with the youth council and I just got the position of president. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a few of my friends to join and there was like only seven of us. And we did a, a lot of things actually for like the two years I was president. We hosted a lot of workshops, one being um, people kind of talking about their story and their struggle, another being a free showing to the Black Panther movie and just talking about why it was so important, you know? And then I had to take a break because of, you know, things happening, as y'all know. Oh, right. And then we kind of reestablished the youth chapter again after the whole George Floyd protest altogether. So I called up Reverend Moore and we hit it home and we're at like 35 members right now. Wow. And I'm really glad to have people like Gerald and Tara right by my side with this. Because, you know, the fight for liberation is you need people. It's not just one person that's going to fight the power. It's more than one person for sure. No, know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I, I started really, really late within the youth council. Like, I started right when the George Floyd protests were going on. But before that, um, I mean, I've, been, I've known Tara as well for four or five years. And whenever anything happened um, in the news, like she would always tell me and she would always give me her experiences and everything. And when I were to to talk about that with my other friends who were different ethnicities, different color, um, they wouldn't know. 
and it's just kind of and then i was just i i realized that like that was me like i didn't ever know about like anything other than like what happened like with my race and everything and i realized like that's not how pe like people of color should be ever like we have to we have to look out for each other so that's what made me want to join the NAACP so that i could help out in any way that i could like with through protests through community work through workshops and it's been it's been crazy and it's been really a really busy three four months huh it has yeah. it has yeah we we literally have everything like anything planned like every week or something like that we have to do some stuff and it's now it's even crazier because of the election yeah and this is going to be the i mean it is the biggest election the most important election of like the entire history of like the uh -huh. united states right and it's it's really really tough too because you know sometimes like when you do it like most a lot, actually a lot of the times a lot of the times when you're doing social work um you kind of lose yourself in in the 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 movement and yeah like we did kind of lose like members like here and there like three four months too right yeah yeah and it's just kind of like we have to stay focused and we have to realize like we can't go a hundred all the time in this we have to keep it at a dis like a pretty good moderate pace so that we can do it for the long run mm -hmm. yeah yeah now make sure that's a marathon and not so much a sprint yeah Facts. for sure yeah oh, and i, I want to get a little bit deeper you talked earlier about kind of your experience growing up in Milpitas with it being predominantly Asian. Yeah. And then now jumping into things, moving into San Jose and kind of getting more involved in that area, you're starting to get a little bit more of a, a paradigm shift, essentially getting some insight from different races. Um, you know, for myself personally, growing up on the East side, I was fortunate enough to be around so many different people, so many different races and colors, right? You know, growing up and going to school, elementary school, middle school, the area where I live is predominantly Asian. So a lot of my classmates growing up and closest friends growing up were Asian. But at the same time, baseball was a sport I played all my life. So I was always around white people. And then essentially kind of having family back in San Francisco, kind of being in some of the more you know rural areas in the projects, you get closer to your side and closer to your roots. So obviously that's given me kind of the ability to go through and pick from different things and, and understand the different struggles of different people. Yeah. Um, and with you guys being involved in the NAACP now here in San Jose, what can you guys say in terms of speaking to the ability to stay cognizant of those struggles of other people from different races? Yeah. Um, I mean, altogether, I feel like I've just always had like this, like at least for me, I've always been for the community, by the community. I always thought culture was such a big thing. So, I'll, and I've always like growing up, I've always had like a really big mix of uh, friends altogether. Um, and I think, in order to understand other people's struggle and to really be with it is to just listen listen to their stories and listen to what they go through um and i feel like with each and every person that i've met i've always asked their input and their perspective of things and really try to take an understanding of who they are and i just guess with the work that i've done i've always tried to come from that place of empathy and understandingness you know what i mean i know i can't exactly like be who you are but i can try to put myself in your shoes and feel for you and i feel like with me being a very intuitive type of person i feel for a lot of people when people tell me things that are going on with their lives i just have to do something about it and i know with a lot of other people it's very difficult to make that jump but for me if i care about you and i feel for you and um, i understand you i'm gonna do something that will make sure that will help you towards your healing or whatever it may be you know what I mean? And 
the reason why I'm only, the reason why I'm, I'm really like that is because people have done that for me. And if it wasn't for those people to understand me, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be who I am today. Right. And it's super important, too, because you kind of talked about, you know, thinking intuitively and putting yourself in a, in a position to be, you know, empathizing with those people's emotions and feelings, whether you've been through that experience or not. Yeah. And sometimes even when you can't do that, there's still power in the effort, right? Because the people that you're around, even if they understand that you don't necessarily get it, just that desire to go and learn and branch yourself out and look inward within them, that can mean a lot to them too. Yeah, yeah. I think like the biggest thing about living in a community that's predominantly Asians are that, um, I mean, Asians are, have been known to be really passive, right? Like you've, you've heard of that, like yes. passive in social, in social movements, passive in community involvements other than uh, regarding other uh, communities of people of color, like different people of color. And um, I noticed that like during high school and everything where like, yeah, like I said before with the previous question, like my friends didn't know what was going on with the world. And a lot of my friends were like, I don't really care about politics. And yeah. I'm like, why, like, how can you not care about politics? Even though it doesn't say that it's regarding you, it does affect you. Uh -huh. It is about you because you're also a person of color and it's your responsibility to like band together like like the community right like um what did you say before about the community how you said like power to the people yeah power, power to, the people. to the people how's yes, favorite sorry. catchphrase power <laughs> to the people if you power ever go to, to a protest and you see this guy you'll see that he's going to be saying it like 50 times anyways, <laughs> anyways and i'll be there to say it again 50 times anyways but like yeah um uh i've just been noticing like the, the phrase that a lot of people hear is silence is violence. And I've been noticing with a lot of people that I've grown up throughout like my whole life, they've been silent. Mm. And they continue, sometimes they continue to be silent. And I wanted, I joined the NWACP to real, like make them realize or give them some inspiration that it's not okay to be silent. You have to make your voice heard so that people would benefit so that people would get out of their, um, get out of all the racial and the social things that affect them, and mm. it affects you too. Like, so that was the biggest like realization throughout. And I actually forgot what the question was. Did that answer it? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely did. And you left off on a very good point too, just because, like you said, in your conversations with people as they pertain to politics, a lot of your friends want to remain silent, or a lot of people are kind of hesitant to jump in. And I feel like a large part of that is just because people don't have that sense of hope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much smoke and mirrors with everything going on and so many people with such conflicting perspectives that it's like people kind of look at it and they say, does my opinion even matter? You know, yeah. is, there, is there a system for me that will support the views and points that I have and, you know, use certain actions that they can put in place to provide for what it is that I feel like I need? And a lot of people feel like they can't have that. I mean, how do you guys kind of feel like what do, what do you what are some hopes you guys have in terms of systems being provided to give people that sense of power to really go out and voice their opinions on different topics? Um, I mean, I feel like altogether it is there with like social media, you know what I'm saying, where people do voice their opinions all uh, all together. Um, I just feel like especially with our generation, you know, growing up around that, we know we use it a lot, but when it comes to actual action. I think the biggest tools that people need to do is join an organization. Like there's like really like no like yes you can 
reshare something, you know, whether it's like Black Lives Matter or No Kids in Cages or um, I, or whatever it may be, you know, whatever hashtag it may be, but to do the actual work against the systemic racism that is deeply rooted in America, and I mean, um, you have to essentially join an organization and start from the community that grassroots and that community uh, unity is so so important and crucial. In, in this, especially in this political state that we are in as a country, you know what I mean. And banding together is the biggest thing that we need right now, all together. And if we don't, things are never gonna end up better for the future generations and for your children and for our grandchildren, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and and that's so true too. Like you pointed out, in terms of just the landscape of social media currently, you know, so many people are super quick to just go and post about different social injustices that are being presented you know, through a post or through a hashtag, right? It's easy. That doesn't really take real action, but very few people are willing to really get into the trenches and get their knees dirty and dig in and really go physically to somewhere and stand for those causes, right? Yeah, that's called uh, performative activism. Activism, Yeah. And I remember how that was becoming a big... I guess people were getting... were really understanding what that was, like posting, you know, like a black square or just a hashtag in a picture. And yeah, like the real the real fight with any social movement or anything is the all the grassroots like organizations go like the work that people don't see like at, on social media. And you said how like a lot of people don't have hope about like how like their voice doesn't matter or anything, right? Well, yeah, it it is like hard to like think that your voice matters when you're one person out of how many people are in the United States? Like three, like a Right, it is hard for you to think like, oh yes, my voice matters, but I mean, your voice may be small in the United, like in the whole United States, but it's big in the local level, and that's why it's important to vote. I'm gonna put that in here. Ah. <laughs> that your vote really, really, your vote, your vote matters in the presidential election, uh-huh. and your and but it really, really matters with the propositions that are affecting your your area. And the elected officials of your of your your county yeah. of your your state of your your city. Yeah. Um, but you just have to realize how maybe maybe you don't have as much power. But if you join an organization and you find people who are also passionate in fighting social injustice and racism and advancing these social movements that have been going on for decades, right? If you put yourself and you surround yourself in people like that you finally start to be empowered and you finally mm. start to inspire yourself and others that your vote your voice matters and everything that you do towards these social movements will matter um that's it's just like a perspective thing mm-hmm. like it may not matter in the like a few couple of days but it, it adds up like little things always adds up right and i feel like that's that's true as well with mental health you know i feel like you can lump that and social injustice in the same topic, you know, strength of both topics, right? (laughs) Where you're looking at two topics where there's very much to be desired in terms of systems that people can really go to and find security within. Um, And in in that right, you know, how has your guys' desire to speak out for both, you know, promotion of mental health, but also, you know, equality when it comes to race relations, how has your desire within those two topics kind of changed over the years? Um, ah, I see what you mean with that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always all about like with like posting stuff and speaking about stuff through um, 
about like social issues. Like I'm always, I'm, I'm very outspoken with that, and I'll say what I want to say. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but with mental health, you know, I guess not as much. And then the reason why is because I guess I'm dealing with a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. But the only way I've been able to speak out of it is through my expression of whether it's blogging, poetry, or the struggles that I've faced. DJing. In a way. DJing, yeah. yeah. And just um, using like my platform that I do have, because I know I do have a platform. And it's crazy because, you know, sometimes I forget that. And I literally just post what, what feels right with my heart and with my... With what I think, you know, what I I just post what I want, you know what I mean, and I just do it, and people like literally like message me or they say stuff like how I'm so inspirational, and those th- those small things like really remind me of the work that I'm doing as a leader and that role that I'm playing right now, and but you know at the same time too like Joe was always saying sometimes I gotta take a step back, you know what I mean, but you know like mental health is so important because there's even times like you could be. Martin Luther King Jr. It could be freaking the leader of the Black Panthers. You could be uh, the rock, the words to say, but you still have to deal with mental health. And if yeah. you don't have that right, then you won't be able to pull through with anything else that you do in life. So, I, yeah, those two really intertwine a lot. Yeah, and going off on Kyle, it's, I mean, the stigma that has been going on for hundreds of years probably is it's hard to be vulnerable. And it's, it's, I mean, a lot of people have trouble being vulnerable with their own, like, family or their own significant other, right? It's even more, it's even more difficult to be vulnerable with, with a lot of people, like, with, like, a public crowd, like, if you have a platform. So, um, I believe, I mean, that, that stigma is still here, and it's still hard. The biggest thing is definitely just community. Just being with people who are passionate with social, social movement and being, pe- being with people being surrounded with people who are more vulnerable and who understand the struggles of having a mental illness. When you surround yourself in people who allow you to be open, then it allows you to heal and it allows you to affect others who feel like they don't have that opportunity. So it's definitely just, that's I guess the biggest thing in about in healing like stigmas and healing like yourself is to find people who are also want to heal them themselves too. And yeah, the community, like having friends who are open, it's just, it gives you a safe space. Yeah, that's what, that's what you really need. Yeah, and that level of collaboration is everything, you know what I mean? And I want to I wanna hear from you guys. Talk about the level of collaboration that you guys have experienced through your work here in San Jose and throughout the Bay Area, just with so many different people fighting for a lot of the same causes that you guys feel like hold true to you. Well, shoot, like, through, like, through, so I'm, like, in a lot of communities. I'm in, like, the um, fitness community because, you know, I work at a gym full-time. I'm the fitness manager. So I get involved with a lot of people who um, go through uh, weight loss, um, uh, gaining muscle, uh, being having a disease or, like, diabetes or something to even stroke survivors, to even people who battle depression. You know what I mean? So... In that type of sense, I guess being in the like the truest trenches of having, because you know, exercise in itself that's a big mental battle that people don't really get up to because of confidence, because of where they're at physically or mentally, and I guess just being that kind of taught me how to kind of bring that out to the community and to provide that for people. So what I learned in the gym, which I'm truly thankful thankful for, Fitness 19 Mofitas, y'all need that membership? Let me know. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was able to bring out to bigger platforms such as the creative world, the advocate world, and um, 
just being able to just not be fearless in talking about my struggles and using that to empower others to create something and rise above whatever it may be. And I guess that's how I was able, that's what I got out of it altogether. Yeah, same thing. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people from different communities always ask the NAACP to speak in a lot of um, their events. And I remember we spoke at, at multiple music festivals too, right? Like on Zoom. Yeah. Were, were they on Zoom? Or they were streaming. They were streaming yeah, on streaming. Twitch, right? Yeah. Yeah, like um, Kyle has been a part, Kyle and then another one of our council members, Javon, have been a part of many like festivals that deal with bringing like mental awareness into um, like just like a safe space. Right, and also advancing social movements. And it's really cool, like I also spoke at a festival as well of DJs, um, of community DJs who are looking to create like an, like, yeah, like a community of people who are inspired and are passionate about music. And it's really cool to see that there are a lot of different kinds of people who want the same thing, who want the same goal. And um, it's, it's great to get those connections. Yeah. And that was like the biggest thing. Like connections of connections to people in different communities that I'm not a part of, um, that makes that allows me and allows them to learn like from each other, because and we also have like a shared like goal. So yeah, that was the biggest thing I got from from NWACP work. I love that. I love that. And Kyle, you spoke to again kind of within your relationships through your job as a personal trainer. You talked about using your experiences as an example for other people to latch onto, yeah. and I feel like obviously we can all attest to the fact that one of the real ways that we can do that is through building relationships with people younger than us, right? I mean, we all have those role models growing up that we really want to look to emulate and and you know provide some level of you know trust and security and knowledge from. Um, I want you guys to speak on your experience and the desire to empower the youth and talk about why that's so important for you guys, especially now. Oh, shoot. That's the <laughs> most important part of, <laughs> of, our, of our job, right? Yeah. yeah. Go on, Kyle. Yeah. yeah. Gerald, Gerald said it right then and there. The youth is the pushing and driving force with what is happening right now. Y'all, like, we went out there with thousands and thousands of people protesting what has happened in this country for so long. We took down statues. We've been pushing on social media. We found innovative ways to spread our advocacy and community work. You know, youth, like, it's so important that y'all step up because at the end of the day, you know, the people who are there right now in power, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be ageist or anything, but they are getting older and they can't take those positions forever. And that tends to be a common thing within the U.S. where these older people who don't have a like, different perspective of things end up taking these positions of power altogether, especially like white men altogether, right? And uh, we, as the youth, especially to my youth of uh, my youth of color, you know, I mean, I know to whatever you may going through, whether whether of being in a low income family to an immigrant family to someone living on welfare or living in the, uh, living homeless, you know, I know that can take a, a lot of power away from you. But just remember that your community and organizations are there to help you out through all of that. There are role models out there that will help guide you towards the right path. Because I know at the end of the day, there's those times where you may feel powerless from what this system has taken away from you or your family. But just remember, you're always able to take that power back and use it for yourself and for your family and for the community. I think that's just such an important thing to especially use your voice 
and use whatever you can in order to fight this battle for liberation for all. Like I said, that's, that's basically one of the biggest things that we, we do and it, about like social movements and ending racism is to empower the youth because what we're stuck in is a cycle. Um, and it's also, you can also attribute that to like mental health as well, or you can connect it to mental health. A lot of the traumas that we face is because of our like parents, which is also a cycle. And what we have to realize is that, yeah, we're, we're in the cycle right now, but if we allow the youth to learn, if we allow the youth to have a better understanding of what is happening um, and let them know, then they, it could possibly be the, the reason or like the generation where they could break the cycle, where they can actually do the things that we wanted to do. Because I like, yeah, we don't want to be ageist. Like, we're, we're not going to be here forever. And we might be a little bit too old, but you know, like it's always the young people are going to take power. And if their generation 20, 30 years down the line are better than us, then we've done our job. Like that's the most important thing. Right, no, that's what it comes down to. And it's just providing that example to show them that there is another way and you can be the one to go out and pave that if you're bold enough and courageous enough to just step outside the box for a second and kind of go against the grain in comparison to what's being put in front of you right yeah, now. Yeah, have hope. Yeah. Be yeah. optimistic. Yeah. I, I know one thing to you, we're all so caught up in our hustle. You know what I mean? And I feel like that comes from the capitalistic society that we live under, where we have to be productive. Now, don't even get that's a whole other yeah, conversation. We could have a three yeah. hour podcast yeah. about that. And just yes, the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> and especially being from the Bay Area, we are in the heart of the giants who run this country. You know what I mean? The world. Yeah, who run the world yeah. altogether. But, you know what I mean? But, I mean, I mean, coming together, that's just so powerful and so important altogether. And we can, you know, rise above that. So, you know, and I think the biggest thing for me, like, you know, I have a busy schedule, like really, really busy. It's so bad. <laughs> I don't slow down, but I still make time. I still mm -hmm. make time. And that's all it is, y'all, making time and having your priorities straight. You know what I mean? So, but it all starts with your mental health, making sure you're, ch you're good with yourself and you can move on to other things, you know? Right, right. Yeah. 100%. And, and my last question for you guys is, is a little bit of a, a wild card I want to know if you guys could each put a name to the journey through life that you've experienced thus far, what would it be? Um, hmm. Okay, I'll start with this. This is cheesy as hell. I am a cheesy guy, though, so it's all good. <laughs> but I got it tatted on my chest. Uh, it's actually because it's closest to my heart. If I were to name what I've been through altogether, I would name it this quote by Tupac Shakur. Shout out Tupac. Rest in peace. Rest in power. For every dark night, there's a brighter day. That's how I would define my story. I like that. Yeah, I mean, life's hard. Life is really hard, and as you grow older, it gets it gets tougher. And uh, maybe another word that describes like my my life, or just like life in general. Your life. My life. Um, let's see. I mean, perseverance. Like mm. just you know, just yeah. perseverance, determination. Like Beautiful. going through it. It seems like life. A lot of the times it looks like an uphill battle because it, it really is it really is but i mean every time you get up uh, get get up a little bit higher on the hill you're winning yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely and once you make it over and finally get to that peak you look over and see that there's another mountain right in front of you right? <laughs>
It's like, hey, that's true. Yeah, I should take a no. break. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's taking that break, stopping and appreciating where you are, but also knowing that there's more work to be done yeah. always. Yes, sir. Yeah. If you can look at that with a sense of eagerness and a sense of encouragement, then you'll just continue to get higher and higher as you move forward, and there's no limit to that. And then you can use looking back, looking through what you've gone through as like an empowering like force, basically. You've been through already so many mountains in your life. Um, we're like early 20s right now. We've already been through a lot, and it just shows us that we're, we're going to keep on going. Like we could, we have, we always have the ability. Everyone has that ability to keep on going, moving forward, getting better every day. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, Gerald, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Cheers, talking man. to you as well. No, I'm glad. And for everybody listening, thank you guys for tuning in. And we will be speaking with you guys pretty soon. So have a good one, you guys. Power to the people. <laughs> <laughs>